Uh, we're finishing up our series on church the way it should be, and we're trying to look at God's word and figure out what a church should be. And I was thinking about this, uh, this whole concept this week, and, and I was thinking about my life. I am the youngest of four children. My brothers are 14 and 12 years older than me. And so I, I realized that throughout my life, I've been a, an observer. I would always take mental notes and I would try to figure out what worked and what didn't work. My parents thought for all those years that I was a good kid, I watched my older brothers figure out how they got caught and didn't do that stuff. It wasn't until I was in college. I'm totally dead serious. Mom thought I was the greatest kid ever until I came home from college one time and this friend of mine came over to see me and she started saying, Doug, a good kid? You don't have a clue. And she starts telling story after story and I'm just going, oh. And, and mom got mad at me, wouldn't talk to me for like six months after that. But... um. Uh, I just, I watched to see what they would do, and if they got caught, I didn't do that. Or I did it better so that I didn't get caught. I mean, and, and when you're six, seven, eight years old, your, your view of life is very jacked up when you see a teenager doing something, getting in trouble, or not doing in trouble. One of the things that I learned from my brothers was if you tell your mom stuff about your girlfriends, it causes drama. So I just decided I would fix that problem. When I became a teenager, I never, ever told my mom the name of anybody I was going out with. I didn't bring them home. I didn't, we didn't take them out to eat. I thought if you kept your personal life separate from your family life, that it would decrease drama. Those of you who are parents, if your children keep secrets from you, does that generally increase or decrease drama? It increases drama. Mom thought I had girls pregnant. Mom thought I was getting married. I mean, she had all of this stuff. And, and she would tell my sister, and my sister would tell me, and I'd go, what? Dude, we were messed up. But, you know, that was, that was my problem, thinking that those things would work. Not talking about something doesn't dis decrease drama. It increases it. But talking about problems sometimes can increase drama in your home. So I guess you just pick your poison. But I realized that, that I've been an observer my whole life. One of the reasons I was 26 before I got married was I had observed a bunch of marriages that, that quite honestly sucked. And I didn't want to have a marriage that sucked. And so I, I was very careful about who I was, about who I dated, who I wanted to marry. And so I, my, my mom thought I was getting married before I got out of high school and then before I got out of college. And then she began praying I would get married before she got too old to see my grandchildren, or my children, her grandchildren. And um, so I, I have observed all my life. And one of the reasons you're sitting in New Life Community Church is because I had been a youth minister for 19 years and I had seen a lot of really jacked up stuff in the Baptist church about the way people do church, about the way that people relate to one another. And today's talk is really kind of a culmination of the things I've learned from the churches. And, and, and no matter how much we learn about relationships and conflict and all of that stuff, we've still got a long ways to go. And so we're going to talk about some of that stuff today. These first four points are all the things I've learned about conflict as I've lived and worked in churches over the years. Here's number one. First thing I've learned is we're going to fight. Can I get an amen? amen. We don't say amen around here. Can I get an I know that's right, baby. 
By the way, several years ago, the reason we got this, some of y'all are new, the reason we got that saying was we were at Walmart giving out free food, you know, and, and this lady comes up with a suburban full of children, and I just started carrying food over to her. And she said, no, no, we can't afford that. And I said, oh, it's free. And she goes, why are you doing this? And I said, well, because we love Jesus, and we just want to tell everybody else that Jesus loves them. She goes, I know that's right, baby. And it is stuck. So we are not an amen in type church. So that's my bad. So you say, I know that's right, baby. You hear something you relate to or you, I know that's right. And you got to say it with attitude. You bust out some honky East Texas thing, we'll slap you and say, get that better. I know that's right, baby. So we're going to fight. Now, can anyone in here say that you have never had a fight in your life? Better not because we're going to have one. We're going to throw down right now. We're going to, we're going to look for some, some stuff. Anybody never had a fight in your marriage? Anybody ever walked into the doors of a church that ha- there has not been conflict in the church, fights in the church? It's going to happen. One of the reasons I'm so sold on the Bible is the Bible is very, very honest about stupid people doing stupid things and paying the consequences of their stupid actions. The Bible doesn't hold any punches. And so here's what I want. I I want you to think about if you've ever, I double dog dare you to find some writings of any other religious belief system other than Christianity that is so real and honest about the people in the pages. If you can find it, Janie and I will take you out for a dinner on the town, Ruth's Chris Steakhouse in Dallas, Texas. I feel really safe with that bet because that writing does not exist. There's not another belief system on the planet that is so honest about the failings of the people who claim to follow this God. All the others doctor it up to make the people look better. The Bible doesn't. And I think that's why I can relate to it so well. Um, I'm not going to read you this passage today, but if you've been reading in the book of Acts, you've come through chapter 15. In chapter 15 of Acts... Paul goes through two conflicts in the same chapter with two different groups of people. The first conflict is Paul has been traveling. He and his, his companion Barnabas have been traveling all over companion. They are, they are heterosexuals, by the way, just, just you know, so I get that clear. Um, but they've been traveling all over, planting churches all over the known world. And, and they took this thing that started out kind of under the umbrella of Judaism, of Jews... And they went to the the Gentiles, which was God forbidden. You don't go to the Gentiles. You don't associate with them. You don't talk with them. God told Paul, go to the Gentiles, tell them about Jesus Christ. So he goes and he starts churches all over the known world. And when he's there, these people who are Jews, the Judaizers, that's what we call them, they said, oh, no, 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 no. You can't follow Jesus. These were Jewish Christians. You can't follow Jesus until you become a Jew first. The outward symbol that you were a Jew was circumcision. So the men were like, you, you got to be circumcised in order to be a Jew. Then you can come to Christ because Christ came from the Jews. And, and so there was a huge church fight. And so they said, well, let's get together. Let's have a council. It's one of the few times in Scripture that a council worked. By the way, just so you know that. The vast majority of time in Scripture, the majority's wrong. But in this case, they have this deal and they work it out and they say, okay, you do not have to become a Jew to become a Christian. And they said, just avoid these things and and you'll do well. So that was one big fight. And they wrote letters and there's parts of the New Testament are about this big church conference, this fight. The second thing was Paul and Barnabas had been elected by their church to go start all these churches. 
And so they get to the end of chapter 15 and Paul says, let's go back. I got a great idea, Barnabas. Let's go back and visit all of those churches. You know, this is basically around the Mediterranean Sea. Let's go visit those churches and see how they're doing. And Barnabas goes, that's a great idea. And they start putting their team together. We got a team going to Haiti in just a few weeks. They start putting their team together. And, and Barnabas goes, let's take John Mark. And Paul goes, oh, no. You see, on the first journey, John Mark left them. He got homesick. We don't know all of the details, but we know he left them. And Paul says, there's not a chance on God's green earth. I'm taking that sucker with me again. My, my interpretation. And Barnabas said, oh, yes, we will take him. And Paul said, oh, no, we won't. And it became such a split, such a fight, that they formed two missionary teams. Paul takes a guy named Silas, and that's who you hear about the rest of the chapter, or the rest of the book of Acts. And Barnabas takes a guy named John Mark, and they go and they visit churches. Now, here's the thing about conflict. Conflict is everywhere, even in the first church, throughout the pages of the Bible. But if you do conflict resolution right... God's going to show us a lot of things about how relationships can work properly. Because at the end of that chapter, or actually several uh, books later, John Mark, Paul writes a letter and he says, man, i got to have John Mark. I need him now. So they had been restored through the years. And John Mark wrote the book that we call Mark in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the second book of the New Testament. John Mark wrote that. So God did some things in his life to restore him and used him as a, uh, later to comfort Paul who had turned his back on him. So the Bible has a lot to say about this stuff. We are going to fight. We've got to figure out how to handle this. Number two, second thing I've learned about conflict is most relationships do not survive conflict. I didn't get any. I know that's right, babies. It's because we're not real proud of that fact, are we? Most relationships can't handle conflict. And maybe you start off, and, and really most, most friendships, most dating relationships, whatever, they start off cordial, right? There's no reason to distrust the other people, but, but then stuff starts to happen. And usually what goes on, and this happens in churches just as much as it does anywhere else. Usually what happens is either we just totally ignore the situation and there's this big wedge that drives us further and further and further apart or we settle for something superficial. We pretend that everything's okay when everything's not okay. Third thing I've learned about conflict. Conflict can strengthen relationships. How many of you have been told that regularly throughout your life, that conflict can strengthen your relationships? Let me see your hands. Not many in the crowd this size. And I'm not telling you to go start a fight. Um, Preacher said this will help us, baby. <laughs> when you have conflict, you got a choice. Either you choose to walk through the door of conflict and you get to the relationship you've always wanted... Or you go your own way and you think in your mind, everyone's a jerk, everyone's out to get me, and you never experience relationships the way God wanted us to. Let's do a quick survey. Is, is Wes in here? Sometimes Wes goes out to help Jen. Wes? There he is. Okay. Come here, dude. Come here. Come here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's right. I'll meet you halfway. Wes, have uh, you and I ever had any conflict? Uh, yes. Ha-ha. <laughs> 
Does that mean more, more than once? At least twice. At least twice. And in your estimation, who was at fault? You were. <laughs> and he's right. I was. So how long have we been friends? Fifteen years. Years, years. Fifteen years. All right. How did our relationship survive the conflict? That's a good point. I don't know. <laughs> Holy cow. Did the person who was wrong ever come to you? Oh, I see where you're going with this, Doug. Yes. Things out. Go back out there. I should know better. Jeff, how long have we been friends? Trying to get over here where we can get you on the recording. 16 years. 16 years. In that time, have we ever had conflict? Yes. More than once? Yes. Nathan, we're about to have conflict, dude. Shut up. How did our relationship survive? And actually, for a while, it didn't, did it? No, no. We had pretty much a non-existent relationship for several years. But then, strangely enough, God brought you to new life. And no one would have guessed that, right? You wouldn't have guessed coming here years ago. I know you brought him. But here's the point. How many of you have really close friendships that have endured 10, 15, 20 years? How have they endured? Have they endured problem-free? Everybody's like, oh, no. Humility? Yeah, we're getting there in a minute. I'm willing to bet if you have somebody that's really a tight friend, that somewhere in your life you have gone through conflict with them, gone through trouble with them, You've walked through that, and, and if I were just to give, ask you to give me the, the generic answer or the short answer, how has your relationship survived? Most of you say, man, we have been through thick and thin together. We've been to hell and back together, right? So what that tells me is there is a possibility, not even a possibility, there is a probability that your relationships can be strengthened if you know how to do conflict correctly. That's what we want to learn today. Janie and I have been married for 19 years. We've known each other for 26 years. Do you think we've ever gone through conflict? Yes. Caleb, have we ever gone through conflict? Who usually has to come and say they're sorry? Me. Yes, thank you. That was the correct answer. That's the, that's the correct answer. No, no, he's, he's being right. Usually it's, it's me and I have to go back to him and tell him how much I value him and ask him to forgive me because I've messed up. Um, why, why is it that, that when we're honest in relationships that things work? Let me give you my best guess. It's in on your listening guide. I, I just penciled this in this morning. 1 John 1, 6 and 7 says this. If we say we have fellowship with Him, meaning God, and yet we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So first part of this is you got to practice the truth. Conflict resolution done the right way, your truth practicing second part of that verse uh, verse 7 says if we walk in the light as he jesus christ is in the light we have fellowship with one another and the blood of jesus his son purifies us from from all sin okay here's the deal if you say you don't have any conflict you're a liar and god says there's no hope for you to ever have close relationships with anybody else but god says if you bring things into the light meaning you confess the truth, you become a truth practicer. Then he says, we have fellowship. 
God knits our hearts together. You don't know how many times I've prayed through the years that God would knit my heart with someone. Or if I see you're in conflict, that God would knit your hearts together with a bond that is stronger than this world can tear apart. He says you have that fellowship. And that's what I mean by fellowship, knitting our hearts together. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Intimacy does not happen in the dark. Intimacy does not happen with secrets. Intimacy happens when we bring things into the light and we're honest. So you become a truth practicer and and conflict can actually strengthen your relationships. Fourth thing I've learned about conflict. Unresolved conflict will stunt your growth, your spiritual growth. Not maybe, it will. I promise. It's why we have so many spiritual lightweights in our churches. We've gotten really good at doing Christian stuff. Going to church, maybe we read our Bible on a daily basis. Maybe we go to small group. Maybe we come to prayer time. Maybe we do all of these activities. And yet we still cry out, oh man, I'm in a rut. I'm stuck. What's the problem? God, where are you? Why can I not feel your presence? Why can I not hear your voice? And, and most of the time, not all the time, most of the time, if you peel back the layers, the people who are stuck in a rut and are spiritual lightweights have unresolved conflict somewhere in their past. Sometimes it's, all over their past. Because the Bible says you cannot be close to God and far from people. You can't be right with God and wrong with people. It's impossible. So we better figure out how to handle this stuff. Now look at what Romans 12, 17 and 18 says. Never pay back evil for evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honest, clear through. Don't quarrel with anyone. Be at peace with everyone just as much as possible. Here again, the Bible is, is very, very real. That last sentence that I underlined for you, just leave that up there for a second, Ashley. Be at peace with everyone just as much as possible. As much as possible means there are going to be some times when you can't live at peace with someone else because they won't let you. Doesn't mean you necessarily go to war with them, but it means you just don't have to associate with them. Now, people take that little phrase that I just said, don't have to associate with them, and they have some little minor um, splinter in their finger between them and someone else, and they say, preach that I don't have to associate. That's not what I said. If, if you come, I, I mean, just come to me and say, hey, let me bounce something off of you. Do you think I have a right not to associate with them? And you know you're not coming if you've got some little bitty minor issue because I'm going to say, you're stupid. I probably wouldn't say that. I'd think it. There's usually a filter. Usually. You come give me something. Oh, well, they, they looked at me wrong. And I'm going to... And I say to people, I do say this sometimes. How old are you? You get in churches and we start acting like we're still in junior high. Not that there's anything wrong with being in junior high. If you're that age. Thank you. But if you are over junior high age and you're still acting like junior high, I really want to smack you. I won't, but I want to. <laughs> now, as much as possible, live at peace. So let's think about this live at peace thing. What if your goal was to be a peacemaker, not a peace breaker in society? By the way, which one are there more of in our society? Peacemakers or peace breakers? breakers. Sometimes people won't let you. I watched the 9-11 special last week and as I saw those jets flying into those buildings and I saw people jumping out of buildings, the horror came over me again because I remember sitting in my living room. I was reading my Bible when that happened. It was on a Tuesday morning 
And, and I remember someone knocking on our door. They were dropping off something for one of our kids. And they knocked on the door. He said, have you turned on the TV? I said, no. They said, turn on the TV. And I turned it on and I was in shock. And I remember we got nothing done the rest of that day at work. At the church I was working at, we had it on in the back and we just kept going in there and we were sick to our stomachs. There are some times when people will not let you live at peace. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about your everyday relationships in marriages, in families, in churches. God says that we can do conflict right. And so I'm going to ask you today to make a choice whether you're going to be a peacemaker or a peace breaker. So if you want to be a peacemaker, let's look at this. How do you do it? Very first thing. You can just leave it, Dwayne. It's not going to beep anymore. Focus on your heart. And each one of these, there's going to be a key word. And the key word is humility. This is what really got me in trouble a lot as a teenager. And I've shared with this, this with you sometimes before. The Bible makes it totally clear that what is in your heart comes out. Look what it says here in Matthew 12, 34 and 35. Whatever's in your heart determines what you say. Have you said some things that you didn't, that you regret this week? It's because you were feeding the ugly side of your heart. Usually we have to chew on some things in our mind and figure out how someone has so wronged us before we start spewing out that stuff. Most of the time, it ain't just some one little thing. Most of the time, we chew on it. That's all right. I saw Molly smack him. That's okay. You go ahead, Arthur. We chew on it, and then we become so overwhelmed by what they did to me that the stuff comes out. Look what the rest of the verse says. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. An evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. The last time you lost control was what came out of you pretty... Did it smell good? Did it make anybody around you feel good? Usually when we lose control, we say and do things intended to hurt. It's because we've been feeding the wrong side. And, and you know, I've been, on the, I've been on both sides in 26 years as a minister. I've had to go to people whom I've offended. I introduced three of them to you today. And I've had people come to me who were offended. And, and I can tell you that the key to restoration in every instance is the condition of the person's heart. Somebody walks in here and says, I got a bone to pick with you. Dude, I can be ready to fight in an instant. I can bow up. I can think of things because I have an evil nature. And if you walk in here that day, hopefully I'm, I'm prayed up. Because I don't want to say anything. I don't want to get upset. Remember years ago on a youth trip, this is, this is awesome. This is one of those times, and it just had to be the grace of God because one of my best friends, he's kind of the opposite personality than I am. You know, he'll go forever, forever before he gets bowed up. And usually, you know, some, so we'd been on this youth camp, and, and this lady just comes out at 3 o'clock in the morning. We're going to leave the next morning and at, at 6. We're getting up at 6 to pack up 180 teenagers to take them back to Arlington. And this lady comes out, and she's madder than a wet hen, and she starts shaking her finger in our face. And I remember looking at her and and i do i just remember going no way this lady's out of control and it's almost like an out-of-body experience because i was thinking i'm so glad Irvin's here to see this with me and then i look at Irvin, and steam starts coming out the dude's ears 
And I'm going, this is going to be good. And man, he bowed up to her and he didn't, he didn't yell or scream, but they were just, and I just stand there watching it going, I'm not in it. This is awesome. <laughs> One of my favorite verses for conflict is Philippians 4, 8. I use this all the time in marriage counseling. Finally, brothers and sisters, keep your thoughts on whatever is right or deserves praise. Things that are true, honorable, fair, pure, acceptable, or commendable. Now, look in that verse and tell me where the word conflict is. Anybody see conflict? It's not in there, is it? So why include a verse that doesn't mention conflict in a talk about conflict? Because Jesus said, whatever's in your heart is going to come out. Whatever's in your mind is going to come out. So leave that verse up there. Uh, last time that you were in a fight, did, did you look at the other person? Did you use this filter before it comes out of your mouth? Did you say, is it right that I want to rip their ears off and stomp on their head? Anybody ever felt like that? Sometimes I just want to take somebody's lip and pull it over their head. Is that right? To think that way. It's fun, but is it right? No. Um, does it deserve praise that when you cut me off on the highway, I really wish I had a big old tractor that I could just run right over you? Does that deserve praise? No. So if I am what I think, and if I'm coming to you, I need to come in the, I need to be prayed up. I need to be studied up in God's word. And I need to come to you with a heart that is right before God. Would that make a difference in how you receive me? Yes. And I can promise you it'll make a difference in how I receive you. We've got to learn this idea of humility. If you ever struggle with that, go to Philippians chapter 2 and read about Jesus Christ who was God and gave up being God to come down and put skin on. And it says our attitude should be just like His. When I've gone in that spirit, God goes ahead of me and works things out that I could never do. And I find out when that happens that God begins to knit my heart together with people that I've wronged. Second thing. It's practice self-control. Not others control. What do you want to do when you're in a fight? You want to control them. You want them doing what you want them to do, when you want them to do it, how you want them to do it. This is self-control. Here's the key word is impulsiveness. Impulsiveness kills reconciliation. James chapter 1. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. Quick, slow, slow. Say that with me. Quick, slow, slow. Say it again. Quick, slow, slow. One more time. Quick, slow, slow. Now, when we... We could stop the message right here. We're not going to, but we could. When we get into conflict, are we quick, slow, slow? Are we slow, quick, quick? We're slow to listen. We're quick to get angry. Right? We're quick to speak. And that's the enemy of reconciliation. That is impulsiveness, is when we're quick to speak and get angry. Here's some pictures. I want you to look at these pictures. What is that? Forest fire. See the deer? I think the deer's going, holy cow. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> I smell smoke. Do the next one. 
You can see uh, now this is still the forest fire, and you can see some buildings and some storage containers down here. One more. I don't know if you've ever been in one. I haven't been in one, but I've been through places afterwards. Here's kind of what they look like. Do the next one, Ash. Here's the next one. Now, leave that up for just a second. Whenever you or I become impulsive in our conflict, our words become a raging fire that burns down relationships. Now, at this point, when you see this picture here, you see any fire? No, and that's good. The fire's out. But is anybody going to live there soon? Could you survive there very long? No, because you've got to start rebuilding. You've got to clean out all of the mess. That's reconciliation. That's conflict resolution. And then you start rebuilding the structures. You start rebuilding the relationship. And what I tell people all the time is, trust is a bridge between my heart to yours. Trust takes a long time to build, but it takes twice as long to rebuild. And the more times you blow that trust up by your actions, the longer it's going to take for someone's heart to be re-knit with yours. Happens all the time. And usually by the time people come to see me, this is what their relationship looks like. And I tell them, man, if you're willing to do the work, we'll make it through this. But if you're not willing to make to do the work, I can go hang with my family. I'm not meeting with you just for meeting. I'm meeting because we need to start rebuilding some things. And you can do it God's way. But you've got to make that choice which way you're going to go. When you let your mouth fly, you're like a raging fire. And, and which one would make more sense to pour on these, these images we showed you of fire? Water or gasoline? water. So why do we pour gasoline on it with mouths that just fly like crazy? Really, it's because our hearts are wicked. It's because we're desperately selfish people. And when you hurt me, I want to hurt you. I mean, that's bottom line. We've got to start doing some things differently. Next time you're, you're in that situation, try this. Shut up. Next time you want to say something that you know is going to hurt, shut your mouth. Because you don't have to say everything that comes in your mind. Maybe you need to go and start practicing that filter thing and think about whatever's true and honorable, right and pure and lovely and commendable. You start thinking about God. You start going to the cross and looking at Jesus hanging on that cross and all the junk you did to Him that caused Him to go to the cross. Then you start working on reconciliation with someone else. Number three, choose words that have the best chance of being heard. Key word here is gentleness. Proverbs eighteen nineteen says, An offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. Arguments separate friends like a gate locked with bars. Now, listen to this. If you're in, if in conflict with somebody, saying nothing is not the right option. Okay? Ignoring a problem doesn't go, make it go away. Time does not heal all wounds. That's, that's not true. 
You may need to make your point, but you can do it the right way. Sarcasm, condescension, yelling, screaming might very well get your point out into the open, but it's not the way to knit your heart together with someone else. Your job isn't to be right. Your job is to be heard. So choose words that can be received. And look at Proverbs 15.1. Love this verse. A gentle answer quiets anger, but a harsh one stirs it up. So don't shout. Choose your words. And, and a friend of mine used to say, taste your words. If they are bitter in your mouth, they're going to be just as bitter, if not more so, when they come out. Taste them before you say them. Number four, own your mistakes. And the key word is honesty. The way you rebuild trust is you go to someone and say, I was wrong. Is it hard to say that? I was wrong. What can I do to make this right? Jesus was so serious about this, he said that if you are in conflict, it's the one time when it's okay to get up and leave church. Look what it says, Matthew 20, uh, 5, 23 and 24. If you enter the place of worship and about to make an offering, you suddenly remember a grudge a friend has against you. Abandon your offering, leave immediately, go to this friend and make things right. Then and only then come back and work things out with God. Should we pause right there and, and, and let some of you leave? I'm dead serious. Some of you, the most honest thing you could do is slip out here in a minute. By the way, God says if you're, if you're making your offering, leave your offering. Go make things right, then come back and continue the offering. And some of you are saying, uh, I can't. I can't do it. Well, Jesus doesn't say anything about whose fault it is, does he, in that verse? Nothing about... If it's your fault, you're supposed to go. It says if a grudge has some, if someone has a grudge against you, that you need to go. So you need to go and make it right. And after you've gone, then number five, key word is forgiveness. We started with the key word first here. Key word is forgiveness. You offer it to those who've hurt you, and you ask for it from those whom you've hurt. This is not an easy verse, but listen to this. Luke 17, 4. Again, Jesus is talking. Even if that person wrongs you seven times a day and each time turns again and asks forgiveness, you must forgive. So if you're a Christian, you have no option but to forgive. Somebody hurts them, you forgive them once. If they hurt you again, you forgive them again. Now, forgiveness and trust, two separate issues. Got to rebuild that trust. If I loan you my car and you trash my car and come back, I can forgive you, but I'm not loaning you my car again, right? I'll drive you somewhere. You need a ride. I'll be happy to give you a ride, but I'm not going to let you just trash my car again. But forgiveness, we don't have an option. And you say, I can't forgive them. You don't know what they've done to me. You're right. But God does, and these are his words, not mine. He said, we're supposed to forgive. And again, if you need help, you look at the cross. You go to the foot of the cross and you look at Jesus hanging on the cross and you remember that He forgave you for more than, than you'll ever have to forgive someone else for. 
And honestly, I've been hurt sometimes in my life where I've had to go back to the cross over and over and go, Jesus, I can't do this. I know your blood has covered me and I know you said you're going to have to do this through me. And so the Holy Spirit, who's called the counselor and the guide. Suddenly, when you put your hands out there in front of God and say, I can't do it. He gives you enough to make it through. I can do all things through Christ. Nothing is impossible with God. And here's the, here's the picture. When, when you offer forgiveness to someone, you're really saying, here's my heart again. And that means it can be hurt. And you, and you, just, you don't say, here's my heart, you big fat jerk. <laughs> but here's the picture when you ask for forgiveness. You go to someone... And you're saying, you are higher in my eyes than I am. You are more valuable than the way I treated you. Here's my heart. Will you forgive me? And that leaves all the power in their hand. Because your heart is right there. And it's tender and they can stomp on it if they want to. But 99% of the time, if you go in the right spirit and you ask someone to forgive you, God's going to do this holy thing in that moment. And that relationship is going to be stronger supernaturally. And he's going to begin to knit your hearts together because you know you did not deserve forgiveness from that person. And when they forgive, you might just have found a lifelong friend. Number six. What is God doing in your life? Key word here is reflection. You will make one million or more mistakes in your conflicts throughout your life. It's going to happen. We're human. We're, we're dipsticks. It's going to happen. But, but if you've had conflict this week, maybe some of you had conflict on the way to church today and you didn't handle it right, God wants to teach you stuff. God didn't bring you here by accident today. He wants to teach you some stuff. But why learn the same lesson over and over and over again? Beating your head on the wall. Doing the same thing over and over. Why not take this conflict, whatever it is, and why not say, God, what do I need to learn from this conflict? Did I speak Quickly, did I, did I listen slowly and speak quickly? Did I get angry quickly? What's my part? Did I go in the wrong attitude? Did I expect something? Because most of the time when we have conflict, it's someone has not met our expectations. And our expectations are unrealistic anyway. And so if I cover my relationship with you with the blood of Christ and I begin to see you with the eyes and the mind of Christ, I see you in a different way and I pour out grace upon you. And I give you the benefit of the doubt. Well, he asked for forgiveness. He didn't really mean it. Are you kidding me? Are you God? No. Just in case there's any question. No, you're not. I'm not God. So you can't judge a person's thoughts and motives. Someone comes to you, you're supposed to forgive. I don't know if I can do it. Well, look again. Philippians 2.13. God is always at work in you to make you willing and able to obey his own purpose. Look at Psalm 4.4. 4. 
When you are angry, do not sin. Think about these things quietly as you go to bed. So God's telling us through his word that we need to look at our part in conflict and figure out where we're wrong and fix that through the power of the Holy Spirit. You're going to have conflicts. We're going to have them in the church. The question is, what are you going to do with them? How are we going to handle them? Are we going to be like the majority of churches that pretend conflict doesn't exist, that sweep it under the rug? Are we going to be one of those radical churches that dares to believe God's word and dares to believe that God knows what he's talking about and trying it God's way? If we're not willing to try, I don't want to be your pastor. I don't want to be a part of a church that says, oh yeah, all that stuff in there sounds good, but I'm not willing to do it. We've got to make some choices. Would you bow your head for just a minute? I want you to think through these things. There is one step that God wants you to take today. Maybe you need to focus on your heart. That's step one. Maybe you need to learn self-control. Self, that's step two. Choose words that can be heard. That's step three. Own your own mistakes. Maybe you've not admitted those things. Maybe you need to offer or ask for forgiveness. That's number five. Maybe you need to reflect on your latest conflict and figure out what your part is. God wants you to choose one of those and make it your focus this week. Father, may we be a reconciling, conflict-resolving church that pleases you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Take your registration cards, fill that out. On the back you put one of those six, one of those six steps we just went through that God wants you to focus on. If you have any prayer concerns, be sure to uh, write those on there. A couple of quick announcements before I let you go. Um, tonight is Experiencing God 5 to 7.30 in here. It's not too late to start. Uh, be sure and get a book. You'll be a little bit behind, but we'll get you caught up uh, as quickly as we can. You can come and do that. Baptism is next Sunday. If you're interested in being baptized, write that on the back of your card. I want to talk to you this week and make sure we're on the same page. Class 101, Discovering Church Membership. If you're interested in joining New Life, you have to go through Class 101, and that's next Sunday. We feed you, we take care of your kids, we feed your kids, and we'll be done in an hour and a half. I've discovered New Life shirts are here. You heard a rumor they were coming. Now, let me just say this. As a fundraiser, it does no good if we don't sell all the shirts. So buy the shirts, buy the forgiveness shirts, and, uh, um, and let's sell those things out. Now, one other thing, everybody hold still for just a second. I got a call this morning. We have, we have some folks that have been coming to our church, and it's one of those God things where they even started coming to the church. One of them started coming, then the other. They're married now, and they, they had a baby three weeks premature this past Thursday. And so he was calling me and telling me all this stuff, and, and everything was, was cool. He called me yesterday, and he said, hey, man, we're going home. This is Daniel uh, Manuel and his wife, Brittany, and their, their baby, Alexandria, was born here, um, 27 inches long. I said, that's a skyscraper. That's not a baby. Uh, 7, 14, 27 inches long. Holy cow. Well, they took her home, and then last night at midnight, he calls me and said, hey, dude, my baby quit breathing, and we, we're at the emergency room. She did it twice while they were feeding. And so this morning, I was coming to church, and he calls, and he says, we're at Dallas Children's Hospital. They had to transport us in the night. She's having seizures and possible brain hemorrhage. They don't have a clue what's going on. Um, so I'm going to try to go up and see them tomorrow. 
here's the thing. They're a young couple. They're, they're early 20s, and uh, they don't have a dime to their name. And we're trying to get him into the Ronald McDonald house. You know, they, they only have 60 rooms, and so that goes for the Shriners Hospital and Dallas Children's, you know. So even if he gets in there, it's 15 bucks a night. It's a great deal, 15 bucks a night, three meals a day. But he doesn't have a dime. And so we've got some guys around with buckets as you leave today. Whatever is in these buckets, we'll keep that separate. And James and I, I didn't even ask James if he wanted to go tomorrow. James and I will hand deliver that to them. Um, they don't know this is coming. And so let's just blow them away. If you need to write a check, if it's in the bucket, write a check and, and just say um, uh, Manuel family or whatever at, on the deal. And we'll keep that separate and, and we'll, we'll take whatever... You offer today, we'll take up to them. They're saying a minimum of two weeks that the baby's going to have to be in the hospital so they can figure out what's wrong with her. So y'all be praying. You're dismissed.